Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Rate Specialists, Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, Blake Gwynn, Head of US Rate Strategy, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy. Hi everyone, welcome back to another Bondcast. Um, busy week this week, we're recording um, fresh after the Bank of England, um, so lots to talk about there and obviously we had the uh, refunding announcement from the Treasury this week as well. Uh, but first of all, Giles, it's been quite a good week for us in European rate strategy. We've had BTB bund spreads rallying uh, and bund selling off and the curve steepening, so uh, a tick for all three of our main themes, I would say. Um, what are we thinking from here? Yeah, well, great, isn't it? I mean, this almost never happens. <laughs> so, so you're absolutely right. I mean, it's been finally a bit of a bearish week for for rates overall, which is something that we've been talking about for, for quite a while and it's been very frustrating over January. And particularly last week when you know, rates were pretty well supported amid all this kind of risk off, you know, GameStop stuff that was happening. So this week, you know, risk has come roaring back. We've had you know, a raft of better data, particularly um, indications on, um, on inflation as well, which um, I think is has been sort of taken on board by markets in, in, in a slightly more serious way. I think you know, some of the COVID pessimism has has receded and that is something that we have been saying again and again and again, you should be fading. And of course, it's also been a very heavy supply week in the Euro area as well. I think we, just from governments, had something like 65 million uh, euros a basis point and, you know, and that doesn't mean a lot to you it's a lot um, that's uh, the most since the beginning of, uh, of January now, and amid that lots of signs of people buying you know, changing the way that they're buying the supply so you know more selling of other stuff to buy it you know selling you know, paying of swaps against it in order to kind of neutralize the, the market risk and of course you know all of that adds up to something which um, you know leads to, to higher rates and so you know this is something we think we go with uh, we're definitely not looking to you know, take our chips off the table too quickly on this one but um, you know, very gratifying that it's actually starting to happen. Okay, thanks, Giles. Um, so, Blake, over to you then. Um, do you want to just give us a quick synopsis of, of where we're at in, in the US this week? I know we've had a busy week with the refunding announcement and we've got some data coming up, but um, can you just give us your brief thoughts first? Yeah, I mean, we, um, you know, have essentially been unwinding a lot of the uh, kind of risk off that we saw last week. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, a lot of the moves this week haven't really come on a lot of what I would call fundamental stories. I mean, we haven't really had any meaningful Fed commentary. Um, you know, data releases haven't really been big drivers of price moves. Um, so it, it's kind of it, it's kind of happening without you know any kind of clear catalyst. But I think that's kind of fitting given that the price action, the original price action, we saw kind of the equity sell off and the rate rally last week. Um, you know, they didn't really have a big fundamental driver either. So the fact that it's unwinding, um, you know, on very little is perhaps not that surprising. I think. Going forward, though, what we're really going to be focused on is fiscal. Um, you know, I think we're going into a little bit of a period where the Fed's probably going to sink into the background a little bit. Uh, that's probably by design. I don't think they want to make a lot of waves right now. Um, you know, the data, you know, our econ team sees the data being fine going forward. Um, you know, nothing positive enough that would really, I think, cause the next leg of, um, you know, of steepening or sell off, uh, 
you know, and certainly any kind of big bumps are going to be looked through to some extent, um, you know, because of these base effects that are going to be coming up. Um, you know, I think Fed's going to look through them, markets largely going to look through them. So it really puts all eyes on this fiscal negotiation. And I think over the next few weeks, it's just going to be hanging on every political headline that we get. Okay, makes sense. We'll, we'll come back to them and talk a bit more about the refunding announcement in a little little bit. Uh, but first, let's, um, Theo, have your kind of one minute synopsis of, of your latest thoughts on rates. It's been a big week for, for the UK this week with a, a pretty important Bank of England meeting, actually literally today, just, just before we're recording this. Yeah, correct. It has been a very big week for our key theme in the UK, which is to pay, um, you know, to be on, on, on the bearish side with regards to front rates. So there's been a key call of us and we've seen clearly that something is going on, right? Uh, it has been one of the biggest uh, sell-offs that we have seen. There are good reasons for that. The Bank of England has not delivered what the market is expecting. And we think that this just continues because the market will, will realize that uh, empty words uh, you know, are not enough. The market needs to see specific action for valuations at these levels to be justified. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more in detail then about the Bank of England, because that clearly is the, the big market mover of the week. Um, you know, we have said all along that we thought that negative rates weren't really a, a tool that were on the table right now for the Bank of England. And, and markets were cl clearly pricing in more of a chance of negative rates than, than we were. Um, they've come out and said, um, you know, that, that they've really kind of confirmed what we were thinking, that negative rates aren't a, a near term possibility. Do you think that they've taken them off the table for good or is this just that delaying them into the future? Yeah, I think this is a fantastic question. Uh, timing, of course, matters. Is this a policy tool? It is. And the language means that this is something that can uh, very easily be employed in the future. It should be available. Banks are asked to take the necessary steps, but it's very important that the language makes it clear that being ready for negative rates does not necessarily mean that negative rates are coming now. It also means that there may be a lag between negative rates being signaled and negative rates being delivered. It also says that a short period of time of negative rates may carry significant cost. So long story short, there are a lot of solid arguments that push back against the delivery of negative rates uh, in the near future. Uh, are there a possibility? Of course they are. But they are not right now. And, and, and this is where the big divide between the bank and the market has been. The market thought that there are chances of the Bank of England pretty much to, to cut and then cut deeper and deeper. And we've heard of 50 basis points, 100 or even 150 basis points cuts being mentioned by some market participants. But it looks that this free option is, is, is not so free anymore. In fact, what I would say is that just thinking that the bank does cut or nothing, that this is a very, very risky approach because it can be that the vaccine rollout is a substantial you know, positive. And it can be also that we start to talk about hikes, which again for the UK will be particularly significant. Okay, so 
um, you you know, we clearly rate cuts are off the table for now. We're saying the market has reacted uh, fairly quickly to that today, um, and you're saying that even in the future, you know, it's possible that we might need to start thinking about hikes even. So, do you think that this market reaction in terms of of higher rates has further to go, or do you think that today's move is is enough? Yes. I mean, today's move is is part of a bigger repricing. We move from pricing aggressive cuts to not necessarily pricing cuts. I think it, the, 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 this this is very gradual. Uh, it's uh, it is an ongoing process. Um, there are solid reasons to expect this sell-off to continue. I think issuance is is is, is one of them. Net DVO one, which was a very supportive factor for the UK market and made it stand out. So we last year we talked about the UK exceptionalism, and you know it made us look ultra bullish all the time, right? So that is gone, which is significant. And you know it's uh, it is it is with we are at a place where valuations in general are fragile. So the sell off that you've just mentioned. It has a lot more to go. Hence, we maintain our view that especially short dated rates will have to rise from the current levels. Okay. Uh, and where does that leave you then on inflation? Yeah, yeah this is actually a very important topic. Um, inflation expectations in the UK are coming down from a very high base because we priced in that premium, that Brexit premium in the UK. And that's gone. So mm-hmm. high you know, high inflation expectations are not justified. We don't talk about a gap risk. But at the same time, we have the reflation story that has panned out very well in the euro area in the US, right? And the UK seems to be lagging. However, the UK is coming from a very high base, which means that if you have a central bank that does not necessarily ease, if the currency is solid, we need to price in higher real rates, which has got a clear downside bias on inflation expectations. So uh, inflation expectations should face downside pressure, at least relative to the rest of the world. Okay, great. And just one last question, Theo, to kind of cover off the Bank of England's policy response before we quickly um, nip over to the US and chat to Blake. But what does today's meeting, or how does today's meeting change your assessment of how they use QE going forwards and, and what that means for further out the curve? Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting that at the very end of the minutes, there was a section specifically on QE. So we know, first of all, that the QE pays will not be increased. This is something that has been mentioned. Uh, there are indications that maybe at some point the pace of QE will be decreased, which is important. And at the same time, the last section of the minutes talks about the possibility to tighten even before the bank rate reaches that one and a half percent. So this is something that will need to be refined and we probably will get more of that in the future. So the previous statement came in 2018, the world was totally different. Um, But I think we will get more communication on the usage of QE and we are not in a QE ally infinity. Uh, The Bank of England says that, well, they are a bit, um, uh, you know, hesitant uh, with regards to delivering more QE in the future. Okay, I think that's a message that we've in Europe and the EC as well. Okay, so over to the US then, Blake. It's less about, well, 
less, I would say, than last week about central banks and, and more about the supply side story. We've had the quarterly refunding announcement from Treasury this week. Um, it was pretty much in line with what you're expecting. Um, but do you just want to give us a quick overview of, of what was announced with regard to, um, well, I guess, coupon issuance and, and bills, etc.? Yeah, sure. So Treasury decided, um, as we expected, not to increase coupon auction sizes uh, this quarter. It's actually notable given that the last three quarters we've been on, you know, what's been the most aggressive um, campaign of increasing coupon auctions that we've ever seen. So, um, you know, this is the first time in almost a year now that they are taking a pause. Uh, I think Treasury's pretty well funded um, given the current um, spending needs that they're going to have throughout this year. Um, you know, that's a, a lot of how the year is going to shape up is going to depend on these fiscal negotiations. And I think until they have more clarity on that, um, you know, they're just kind of sitting pat on coupon auction sizes as they exist. Um, in our preview and, and also in, in the piece we wrote afterwards, um, I kind of note, though, that, you know, I, I don't want people to get lulled into this kind of sense that uh, the supply story is, is off the table or kind of dead for now, um, given the Treasury you know, is taking a pause this quarter. Um, given all of the increases that we've already had through the past three quarters, I mean, we're still at record levels of issuance. There's going to be 1.1 trillion of coupon issuance this quarter gross. Um, you know, that's the highest we've ever had. Um, and, you know, you compare that to something like 680 billion in this quarter last year. So really huge amounts of supply still coming, even if they aren't currently uh, increasing auction sizes. Um, just lastly, real quick on the tip side, um, you know, they announced increases in tip supply uh, last quarter. Um, those are going to continue. I will say they're, they're very gradual. They're only increasing um, each auction by 1 billion. I thought maybe they could do 2 billion at the five-year point, um, you know, especially given where we've seen kind of demand for the inflation product in the U.S. Um, you, you know, over the past few months is, you know, quite a bit of investor demand for that product. And, and I think they could have easily done 2 billion there, um, but they're taking it very, very gradually and um, gradually enough that it's not really going to reverse um, this trend we've seen uh, for quite some time now, which is that the share of tips um, as a portion of total outstanding treasury supply has really started to decline. And even though they're going to halt on coupon auction increases and increase tips, um, it's not fast enough to overcome the nominal issuance. So tips is still shrinking um, as a market relative to nominal treasuries. Um, so that's kind of what we got on, on, on the supply side. Okay, but also what about the um, bill uh, stock size? There were some comments around that and um, about the uh, idea that that too will shrink as a, a percentage of the outside. Yeah, that... Yeah, sure. That, that was kind of teed up last quarter. Uh, TBAC, that's the Treasury Borrowing Advisory Committee. So this is a, uh, a committee put together of private market participants that kind of advises Treasury and, and um, helps them with various analytical projects. And last quarter, they had actually advised the Treasury could reduce bill supply as a, as a share of outstanding um, down to 15 to 20 percent. Um, it's up around 24 percent now, a little under 24 percent. Um, so they had kind of put that forward last quarter. And this quarter, we actually saw Treasury kind of acknowledge that recommendation and, and say that, um, you know, that, that that's something, given their forecast, that that's something they could see happening. What I think wasn't really clear to us is whether you get to that 15 to 20 percent passively or actively. And what I mean by that is, you know, is Treasury saying we're going to hit that 15 to 20% level just because 
the pace of nominal issuance is, you know, nominal coupons are just going to keep building up and building up and building up and tips, you know, by virtue of that build and coupons, they're just going to shrink as a piece of outstanding. Or does it mean they're actually going to go in and actively cut bills to get down to that 15 to 20% level? Um, you know, we see kind of in, in our forecast, and again, you know, when you go this far out, forecasts get a little shaky. But um, if you if you look at our forecast, at least, um, you could get to that 15 to 20% level of bills naturally um, in, in about two years time. So um, just by the virtue of how much coupon issuance they're doing, you know, you'd get down to that level eventually. Um, we had been envisioning something, you know, the treasury would come out and be a little bit more forceful at this and say, no, we want to get to 15 to 20% in two quarters or something. They actually asked about that on the survey ahead of refunding. They said, how quickly could we get to 15 to 20% without causing uh, you know, market stress? So that kind of made us think, oh, they're really gonna attack this 15 to 20% level and cut bills aggressively. Um, but then the statement came out and it really didn't seem that way. Um, you know, they, they kind of were a little wishy-washy in my opinion and didn't really say, hey, we're, we're going to hit this level. They said at some point, if things uh, evolve as we expect, we would hit this level at some point. You know, that's very different than saying, "Hey, we're going to target that level in in the um, in the next three or four months." Really, what it comes down to is Treasury is about uh, as uncertain as we are about the fiscal path. They really just have no idea over the next two or three months what they're going to need to do on the bill side because we've got fiscal stimulus negotiations still happening, and we also don't know what's going to happen with the debt ceiling. So until we get clarity on those, it's really difficult. You know, I, I don't envy Treasury. Um, you know, we're in the same position, but obviously everybody's kind of looking at Treasury's forecast for guidance, um, but there's really none to give. Um, it's just very difficult to see, you know, to have any kind of clarity on, on where things are going on the fiscal side. And, and because of that, they can't really forecast bills. So I guess you're going to give me a very similar answer now, or at least very similar reasoning. But I know one thing you were looking for in your kind of uh, clarity around um, the path of, of the cash balance, which is, is currently very high. And again, there, they didn't really give the clarity that you were looking for, I guess, again, related to, to that uncertainty. Yeah, just uh, by way of background, I mean, Treasury's been holding on to this massive cash balance because they're expecting... Uh, they, they've been expecting at some point that they're going to have to pay for additional stimulus. Um, you know, we did get stimulus in December, and I think they're going to pay for that. You know, a, a lot of the bills that come due because of that stimulus are going to get paid out of that cash balance. So for sure, we will see a reduction um, in, in the cash balance. But I think to your point, um, where the uncertainty lies with where the uncertainty lies is how fast that runs down kind of what path we take to get uh, uh, to that lower level. And I think the other uncertainty is where we stop. Um, you know, in the past, you know, pre-crisis, Treasury used to like to have, um, you know, five days worth of cash outflows on hand. That usually ended up being around 300 billion. That was kind of their target cash balance. We're at one point, you know, we've been around 1.6 trillion in, in cash balance. So we're way, way above that point. But I think it matters whether we, you know, what their new minimum level of cash they want to have on hand is because, I think it's clearly going to be something more than 300. Um, you know, that's too low given this kind of what we've seen in the uh, uh, seen from the crisis and um, still having a lot of that spending going on. Um, but you know, how low how how low are they going to let that go before they start bumping up bills to to kind of correct? Um, and we were hoping that they would give us some clarity on what that level might be, whether maybe now it's 10 days of outflows or some kind of numerical target. Um, in our preview, we kind of suggested 600 billion is a level that might make sense. Um, knowing that endpoint is very important because, um, you know, TGA, the, the, the cash balance that Treasury holds is basically an offset to the level of reserves uh, in the system. So every dollar the, the 
the treasury's account goes down is a dollar in reserves that's created. So a lot of market participants really care about this. And, um, you know, whether they go to 800 or back down to 300, that matters because all of that drawdown is getting added to reserve balances is going to impact markets. Uh, but unfortunately, again, uh, like you said, they didn't have any clarity here either. Um, they really kind of danced around the subject. Somebody asked specifically in the follow-up post, uh, the follow-up press conference, and they completely punted on the question. They, they, they didn't really provide any, any answers. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see uh, uh, and hopefully get some more information on that in coming quarters. Well, let's hope so. So it really feels like uh, fiscal policy I guess, is going to be center stage in the next few weeks, perhaps months in the US. So I'm sure we'll talk about that in many podcasts to come. Uh, thanks everyone for joining this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.